Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 22 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, media trainer and editor of veganbusinessmedia.com, the multimedia blog providing success tips for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. In this episode, I interview Karen Nola, founder of The High Vibrational Woman and The Raw Food Coach. Karen is an award-winning international business coach and a world-renowned raw food expert of almost two decades. Based in Hertfordshire, England, Karen's biggest passion is helping other women to go after their desires and to create and live the life that they truly dream of. A spiritual awakening in her early 20s in 1998 led to Karen leaving behind a high-flying career in publishing to work in a meditation centre. That same year, she took over the UK's first raw food organisation, the Fresh Network, which she expanded significantly over the next eight and a half years. She's the author of Raw Food Made Simple, which she self-published, and Eat Right for Your Personality Type, which was picked up by Hay House, and she's trained thousands of people to become professional raw food coaches and teachers via her live, virtual and home study trainings. In 2014, Karen launched The High Vibrational Woman, a series of private coaching, mentoring, group and online programs for women that incorporate her expertise in raw food, business and living life to the fullest. In this interview, Karen talks about how she almost jeopardised her first business because of money mindset issues and an inability to receive and how she overcame this. The one thing that will conquer any fear you have about becoming a thought leader and raising your profile, especially if you're a solo practitioner, the benefits of self-publishing and traditional publishing, how coaches and consultants can stand out in today's flooded marketplace by going all in with their branding and developing a proprietary system, and much more. Here's the interview with Karen Nola of The Raw Food Coach and The High Vibrational Woman. Hello, Karen. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Katrina. I'm very glad to be here. Looking forward to it. (laughs) Excellent. So you've had a lot of experience in running your own business from quite a young age. And I was reading up about you and when we very first connected many years ago back in the UK when I still lived there with uh, the Fresh Network. So tell me a little bit about what your drivers are for running your vegan businesses. So perhaps start with with the Fresh Network, you know, your first business um, and move on to, to some of the things that you've been doing since then. What's your why? My why is really to see this planet elevated to the consciousness that it can be. And, um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, and I'm sure you don't disagree with me, you know, eating animals and the, and the way that all of that comes about is just not part of that vision that I think many of us have for this planet. So my why is really about giving people the, the tools and the resources to make that change um, so that that is eradicated from this world um, and simultaneously that their consciousness can be elevated so that they can experience more of who they truly are and who they came here to be. That's fantastic. And has your why or your mission, has that changed over the years? Or has it pretty much stayed the same, but you've, you're doing it slightly differently with the different businesses that you've had? I think both. I think when I, when I first started out, I was 25 
And I was very passionate about, you know, keeping an organization going that may not otherwise have kept going. And, um, I think my, well, my why was definitely always there under the surface, but, but as time went by and I became more aware of what, what life is like, what things are going on and what differences people can experience in their life, my why got deeper and stronger and more pronounced, more obvious. And of course, when that happens, it gives you more to be able to work with because you're clearer. So the, the goal is clearer and the why is clearer and it makes you more of a force of nature I would say yeah yeah I like that I like that so you obviously you made a shift from working in the raw food space as part of the fresh network and then you were teaching uh, raw professionals Mm -hmm. and now teaching coaching and mentoring women in your high vibrational woman business which is a very cool title I love that (laughs) (laughs) tell me why the change well, I still do do train the trainer within raw food. Um, and in fact, that's, that's coming back now stronger than ever for various reasons. But, uh, it was, gosh, back at, at the start of 2014, I believe I started to become aware that, that, that my work was really calling me to broaden. So not just be so focused on food. And I think, some some of that happened organically because the conversations I was having with people in the raw food world were broader anyway. Um, but also some of it was happening because of my own personal journey and what I was doing away from my professional life as a, as an individual and recognizing that, you know, it's all very well someone not eating meat or being vegan or whatnot, but um, it's a whole person journey. It's not just about diet. It's about how someone is able to transform as a person, what they're able to receive from life and and give back to life. And that's not a one-dimensional thing. That's not just diet-related. Diet absolutely can inform and enhance that. But um, for someone to really be happy and to really heal um, and to really enjoy life to the full, they need to be able to uh, heal themselves on many levels. That's so important, I think, I and mean, we particularly see that with uh, within the activist circles, and obviously vegan business owners are <clears throat> are part of that as well. Is you know kind of people operating from anger or operating from their their own wounds. Mm. So I think that's really really um, important that you you've raised that about healing ourselves in order to be able to heal others. So that's that's fantastic. So what were some of your when you first um, transitioned into running your own f- raw food coaching business? What were some of your challenges when you were first starting that up? Well, my initial challenge, ironically, was that no one would want to listen (laughs) to me. (laughs) Because when I ran the Fresh Network, I had an organization name to hide behind. And it really, the Fresh Network was mostly me. Um, and, but it, but because the Fresh Network was the name, it wasn't Karen Nola. And so when I went solo, I had a very real fear that people wouldn't be interested in Karen Nola. They'd be interested only in the Fresh Network. And now I'd left that business or sold it. And, um, you know, it felt like a massive gamble, quite frankly. So that was my, my biggest challenge at the beginning. And, um, then. How did you get past that? Well, it, I, basically I just had to make it work. You know, I didn't want to go back into having a job. I knew that there were, there was a lot of work for me still to do. And my desire to do that work was stronger than my fear. Um, so it was just like, I just have to go for it and see what happens, really. Um, and interestingly, and happily, you know, within a very short space of time, I mean, just a few months, I had more people on my email list with Karen Nola, or the raw food coach, um, 
than I did with the Fresh Network. And so, wow. you know, there was a lot of traction gained very, very quickly. And it was really the feedback I needed to to gain in confidence that I didn't have to hide behind an organizational name and I could actually be uh, successful and uh, popular in my own right. So that was good. And, and that was necessary. And, you know, the next challenge, which I think everyone goes through to some extent, I don't know how often it's been discussed on the interviews that you've done, but my next challenge was actually getting comfortable with money. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a big one. And I've I've had to work a lot through that kind of stuff. I talk about that in some of my talks about how, you know, we've got to get over those issues. So oh, tell me your story uh, about that. Uh, <laughs> when I was running the Fresh Network, I, you know, I was really giving as much as I was receiving. So, um, you know, actually, in, in a way, I almost jeopardized that business because of my own stuff about receiving. And also, as was, I don't know if it's, it's still very prevalent but as was very common in those days there was still very much a mindset that if you're doing work that helps the world that you should be doing it for free <laughs> and <laughs> and you know I was I was young and I was very swayed by other people's opinions about me and I obviously like most people wanted to be liked and so if someone ever confronted me and said things like well you've gone too commercial or you charge too much you know it would almost be like someone had just stabbed me in the heart and I took it very personally and you know inside myself I knew that I was in integrity and that I was doing what any business owner needs to do but it didn't stop those things from upsetting me and there came a point on my journey where I realized that I couldn't let one or two individuals potentially derail the whole organization because of my inability to, um, you know, not feel that pain. So I had to really block myself uh, emotionally in that way to be able to say, okay, as long as I know what I'm doing, then that's the most important thing. And I need to just be secure with that, keep moving forward and let people think what they're going to think because people are going to think what they're going to think. And it is coming from their own wounds. So when I moved beyond that, then it was, about allowing more money into my life so that I could be better supported with team and I was a single mum from you know my son being very young so I needed more support in every way um, to do the work and businesses need to make profit of course so you know I had to just continually work with my own blockages and my own stuff to receive more and more income in order to elevate and get the kind of mentorship and support that I needed. That's brilliant. I'm so glad you shared that because it, it is one. It is a real kind of stumbling block. And I mean, I remember when I did the book and someone's and, you know, I started working with sort of, you know, in the area of vegan business. And one of my friends who's an activist said, oh, how come you're doing all this business stuff instead of activism? Like the two were kind yeah. of you know mutually exclusive, which they're not. And I always say, you know, there's so much money out there and it's flowing to, you know, a lot of these big, horrible businesses. Why shouldn't it flow to us? Because we can do um, so much with it. So I'm really glad you've touched on that and I also love that you shared about um, you know your your desire to do what you do overcame your fear um, because you know that that's really inspirational because so many people do get stuck when they're putting themselves out there and like you say not hiding behind a brand so mm. that's absolutely brilliant I'm really glad that you've you've shared that what would you say some of the challenges particularly around for coaches trainers and consultants and particularly vegan ones because I know you've done you know business uh, coaching and consulting yourself because you've got a lot of experience so what would you say are some of the key challenges nowadays for coaches trainers and consultants service providers yeah um 
I wouldn't necessarily say it was any different for any other kind of coach, but um, we're we're in a marketplace now that is changing continually around languaging around food. So obviously, 20, 30 years ago, you used the word vegan and people would look at you like you needed locking up, you know, like what's wrong, <laughs> what's wrong with you? Um, and so to be into raw food in that same era was e- even worse. I mean, literally, people would look at you like, you were stark raving bonkers and um <laughs> you know throughout that period of time i i've been very clear in myself that it's the most sane approach there is quite frankly like what what is bizarre about eating natural food to me it makes complete sense um but i think the main challenge now is that there's so many terms banded around you know paleo clean eating vegan raw fruitarianism and all the rest of it and so on a practical note really the coaches are I think their number one thing is well where do I position myself and what language do I use because they're they're really all coming from the same place and mostly the same why Um, but at the end of the day people are training to be coaches and teachers because they want to make a difference and so then it's like well how do I position myself and what language do I use in order to affect other people's lives because terminology is very important and some people are very turned on by certain words and some people are very turned off and so over the more recent years I've been very clear with coaches that they don't even have to use the words raw or vegan they can actually go out there and use whatever terminology they want healthy clean whatever and still have a great impact but just to to make a decision that they can run with, really, because if you can't run with a decision, you can't get very far. Exactly. Yeah. And I guess and it all comes down as well, I guess, to your target market. I know with mm-hmm. Tracy, my partner is a clinical hypnotherapist. She doesn't use the word vegan on any of her marketing materials. She lets people know that, you know, the product, none of the products are used or made from animals. But, you know, she get that way. She gets cattle farmers and sheep farmers coming to see her right. um, who she can then help to shift, you know, from a health perspective. And they just wouldn't come if she had the word vegan on. So it, it's interesting. It's very interesting getting people's perspectives on that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, in terms of coaches and consultants, I mean, there seem to be a lot of coaches nowadays, you know, transformational coaches, life coaches, um, you know, lots of them being, being trained and, and coming out. So I'm really curious, what are your thoughts on, because you obviously were a pioneer, you know, when you're doing your raw food coaching. Now there's coaches of all different kinds. And how can people stand out? How can coaches and consultants stand out and differentiate themselves from the quote competition? Yeah, to me, to me, I always say it's a combination of branding and um, unique proprietary system. So the the brand obviously being the aesthetics and the the whole look and feel of the business and what makes someone stand out. And it is getting more challenging. You know, someone has to really be 100% themselves to get fully behind their brand. And that's the journey that I've been on myself because I definitely diluted aspects of me historically to try and kind of be what I thought people wanted me to be. Um, so I'm actually now, as we speak, in the process of rebranding, and it's it's going to be a very interesting journey because there's sides of me that people have never seen, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and it's you know it's 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 kind of like Marmite, isn't it? People either love you or hate you, but um, <laughs> branding the most powerful way to brand is to go all in because they are the brands that are uh, contagious or viral, and um, you know people pay attention to brands that are strong 
for the very fact that they are strong and they're strong because they're undiluted. Um, so that's where I'm going even more now personally. And in terms of proprietary system, um, for those who've never heard that term before, you may have heard signature system. It's really your unique way of doing things, how you, how you enable clients to become successful that is unique to you, um, that is generally based on your journey and what you know works and how it's worked. And, you know, really people are paying now for things to be as quick, easy, simple and enjoyable as possible. And a system done well enables people to get from A to B in that manner. And that's, you know, it, it sounds simple enough, but actually it takes an incredible amount of thought and um, and clarity to be able to deliver a process that works that powerfully. Do people need to have a lot of experience to do that? You know, say you've got like a new coach, they've just kind of, you know, straight out of coaching school and mm. maybe they've done a, a handful of pro bono clients. Is developing, a, like, is there a certain time that they should uh, create a signature system or does it take kind of years and, and lots of experience? It, it depends. Um, if, if they're left to their own devices, it can take years. Um, I'm working with someone right now at a very high level and she's very new to a lot of these things, but she's very switched on. She's very intelligent. And when I explain things to her and share things I know, um, the system comes together very, very quickly and she understands that she gets it and she can run with it. So I think the dis- defining factor is how much support someone gets in, in actually pulling the system out of them and having it be a system that that really is a fit for them because it's not about it being my system transposed onto someone else it's about their stuff being pulled out of them quickly by someone who knows how to do it got it yeah yeah for sure and just on that with the whole thing of competition and you know there's some marketing people that say we shouldn't even think about competition that's very you know uh, old hat and instead Mm -hmm. we should think about competitors as collaborators Mm -hmm. um, and perhaps to do joint ventures with what are your thoughts on that I think I think it's a very interesting thing Um, (laughs) I mean first of all starting at the end with collaboration you do have to be very careful who you collaborate with I know you know you can go from one extreme to the other you can either be so competition focused that you feel like everyone's the enemy or you can go to the opposite end of the spectrum and think peace love and you know everything with everyone (laughs) who wants to do it Um, and I've learned over the years that you do have to be very discerning about who you collaborate with because you know, there's all kinds of things that, that can come up in, a, in any kind of partnership. And, um, you know, I remember even when I went to some some business trainings very, very early on with, uh, you know, an organization local to me. They said, be careful if you go into a partnership arrangement with your business, because most do not actually work out. And I never forgot that. And and I've seen in my own business that, um, first of all, you always need to have an agreement in writing. I mean, that's number one, definitely, because people can forget details or they can kind of de- detour. Um, and number two, there has to be an enormous amount of trust and respect between the two parties. It's not just a case of, oh, I think they might be quite good to work with. You know, there's there's going to be things that happen in projects that are not foreseeable. Um, and you need to make sure that you can work through them together as a team and you can have honest conversations and you know, that the flow is there. So if I collaborate with anyone, I need to make sure that all of those things are in place. Um, in terms of competition, I mean, I, I definitely know what you're talking about over the years. There's like, well, you know, there's no such thing as competition. And um, <laughs> yes and no. Yes and no. Um, 
I mean, I've had experiences with, with people in the past who, who were very close to me and then, um, set up businesses just like mine. And, you know, I'll be very transparent. I did feel betrayed. Uh, on a human level, I felt very betrayed, but on a, on a bigger picture level, actually, it was entirely appropriate that those businesses came into being and I can see that now with hindsight and I've been seeing it for many years but at the time it stung very much um but um now now I I don't really use the word competition and I don't really see competition what when I'm training people as I shared a few minutes ago I encourage people to really go forward as an individual and to shine fully as themselves. Um, and then when when you are shining fully as yourself, it, it automatically eradicates that sense of competition because you're so focused on your own world and your own activities that, that you, there's a level of trust that comes with that, like the right people will be attracted to me and there's enough for everyone. And I will attract the right people for me at the right time. And I definitely have seen that play out in my now 18 years of experience in business. You know, it's always the right people show up at the right time. So there's a lot of trust that, that comes to pass. That's brilliant. I really appreciate your honesty in sharing that because you're right, you know, we are human beings. And I remember reading a book by Pema Chodron, who's a, a Buddhist nun, writes absolutely, you know, wonderful um, books about the, the human persona. And even she said in her book, and this is someone who, you know, meditates and is, you know, very spiritually evolved compared to it with most of us. She actually admitted that when one of her competitors um, had a best-selling book that was higher up on the bestseller list than hers, even she got jealous. And I remember reading that thinking, oh, human you know even the, even a buddhist nun can can sometimes have that moment and and i guess like you say it's a case of experience and also learning to work through those issues and and seeing the bigger picture so i really appreciate you you sharing that and one of the things i noticed you you say on your website you felt at home in the raw community for many years and you you felt you'd found your tribe and then you discovered that there were plenty of people who were actually not your tribe and i, I just wondered if you could expand a bit on that because we hear a lot in, again in marketing terms like find your tribe specialise in your niche so I'm well, curious to get your take on that yeah well when I ran the Fresh Network basically the, the whole intention behind it was to serve anyone and everyone who was interested in raw food to any degree and of course over the years you know you, you come to meet all kinds of characters and personalities and you know you definitely get a feel for who are more your people than, than others there's people you naturally are more attracted to and, and more inspired by and enjoy more um and you know i really found that because i'd worked in a meditation um prior to running the fresh network and simultaneously you know i i always felt very strongly that my people are people who yes are absolutely into raw food but they're also into their spiritual and personal development and that's not everyone in raw food you know so it, it was a refinement for me and um and I've kind of reached a point where, you know, even though there's still some trepidation in fully owning that, um, it is my truth. And I have the best conversations and the best work and the best experience with women, especially who really get that we are spiritual beings in a human body and that raw food elevates us um, in our in our human selves as well as our spiritual selves. And that when you put those two together, the, the consciousness and the food, it, you know, a whole new world opens up and it's a world that I like to play in. 
I love that. It's almost like a niche within a niche. And I, I can certainly relate to that in terms of being involved in the vegan community, which is a big community. Um, but then at, at the moment, you know, I'm kind of more drawn to vegan entrepreneurs, you know, who have, mm. like you say, done work on themselves. And it's kind of interesting, isn't it, that you and I first kind of crossed paths many years ago, what, 20 plus years ago and lost touch. And now yeah. here we are doing this interview. Again. It's kind of fascinating. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you, you mentioned branding and, and standing out. How do you then at the moment where you are, are at now, how do you personally set yourself apart from the rest in terms of your uniqueness? Well, now I have the luxury of a lot of experience. You know, when I was starting out, uh, everything was new. And in fact, the whole raw food genre was new, actually. Um, but now with, with so much experience, that's my number one uh, differentiator, I would say. Um, but also... Yes, in the world, in fact, my differentiator is that I have conversations around food and energy that no one else is having. Um, and I, I love that. I mean, I, I honestly didn't expect that to remain the case for very long. But um, I bring with me, I think since birth, honestly, uh, a, a huge intuitive knowledge bank around energy and what we consume and uh you know, I'm getting a bit cosmic here, but in this lifetime, I really feel that I'm here to bring a, a huge body of work to this world that perhaps no one else can bring. I don't know, but I'm certainly going to bring it. And um, and that's really about the the more subtle effects as well as the more profound effects of food on our body, our mind, our heart and our soul. And um, I'm able to have conversations at a level that very few people are able to have. And, you know, sometimes that can feel a little bit lonely, but other times it, it feels glorious. And for the people that can can comprehend that and are turned on by that, it's brilliant. Brilliant. I love that. I love that. Great. Now, for those you obviously you say you've had this lot of experience for those people who are listening, who aspire to owning a business and running it, obviously, on ethical vegan principles. What, in your opinion, what are the key things they need to do to take into account before making the jump from being employed into self-employed? Mm, oh, my gosh, There's, there is a lot. I mean, I think the number one thing that has to be in place is is just a, a certain mindset or heart set about this this decision is bigger than anything else like that it's a hundred percent there um people have always said to me what do you consider to be the secret to your success and i basically always say that not succeeding was never an option um i think if you go into any business believing that there's a possibility that it's not going to work i think to some degree you're done before you've started um mm -hmm. So so for me, it's like I will find a way to be successful no matter what. And I don't mean no matter what in terms of being ruthless and out of integrity. <laughs> but I just mean if this doesn't work, try this. If that doesn't work, try this. Like there's always going to be a way to be successful. And, um, you know, sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's not so easy. And I think people have to go in with their eyes wide open knowing that business is, is one of the most for want of a better word, brutal personality, um, personal development grounds that there is because it will, it will pull out of you everything that there is to pull out of you. You know, you have to be tenacious, you have to be disciplined, you have to have confidence and have a strong, um, will in many respects. And, you know, that might sound a bit scary. And I honestly, if someone had said to, to, to that to me at the beginning, <laughs> I would have, <laughs> 
I don't know if I would have done it. But but also I, I still maintain that you only get what you can handle. So even though that may sound kind of scary, I really believe the universe really does just dish out enough that we can be stretched, but not so that we want to just jump off a cliff. You know, we yeah. sometimes we are stretched to our perceived limits, but then a year later we think, well, that was actually a drop in the ocean compared to to this. But something you picked up on earlier, and I say it many times, is that if your desire to be of service is that strong it should actually automatically conquer any other fear that you have. And and for me personally, having that spiritual backbone, that trust and faith that, um, you know, the universe is working for you at all times and not against you, that that actually has been my biggest um, saviour, I guess. Because if I had come into doing the work that I do now or even earlier with a fear that, oh, it could go wrong and there's nothing really supporting me and this is potluck as to whether it works, who knows where I'd be now? I might be back in an office in London. Um, but I, but I really paid attention to, to how life was working and, and how things were showing up for me at the right time. And that gave me the confidence and the courage to keep moving forward. Brilliant. I love that. I love that you've touched on that whole kind of the mindset and the, uh, you know, the, the emotional and spiritual well-being. What about as well in terms of, say, practical mm. um, strategies as well? What, 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 what in your experience do, do people need to take into account before uh, making the leap to um, self-employed? Well, I think I think like anything, you need to get educated first. So that that is reading books. It's listening to mentors, teachers, people who have been there and done that. I mean, in any walk of life, whatever it is that you're looking to get into and be successful at, it makes sense to learn from those who have done it, right? It's, yeah. I mean, I, dumb, I never thought to do that in the beginning. I was, I just thought I would just kind of know it all by osmosis. And of course you just don't. <laughs> um, it took me a few years to actually hire my first business coach and it was a really big deal when I did it. You know, it was a, it was a quite a significant financial investment and I really didn't know upfront whether it was even going to benefit me because I, I didn't know what I didn't know. Um, but in the early days when money is probably lacking, um, or a lot, a lot less than it, you probably want it to be. You know, there are tons of resources out there for free. And there's lots of free podcasts, teleclasses now. I mean, I do tons of free training calls with huge amounts of value. Um, yeah. because I know what it's like to be there at the beginning when you're, you're kind of traversing two worlds and, and budget is very much front of mind. Um, Having said that, there comes a point where you realize that all the free stuff is great, but, but you really do need some one-on-one to, to go on. You know, if you're really serious, when I think about my journey and my client's journey, you know, the ones that really make it are the ones that are not afraid to put down money to those who have, have done it and can give them the, the fast path. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree with you. It's making that that investment. You become invested more in what you're going to be learning. So, uh, in just related to that, then, I mean, you're an essential part of your brand, like you say, it's Karen Nola, and even you know the Raw Food Coach, High Vibrational Woman. It's still you. You're the the woman be, as part that's the brand. So, how do you handle the many tasks that are involved in running a business? You mentioned business coaching, so I'm curious. You know, what other expert help you've used over the years to grow? 
your your business and when you decided to make it and what the results were? Mm. Well, <clears throat> generally, it's my team now. You know, I have virtual assistants um, and an in-house assistant and uh, all kinds of people are part of my team doing different bits and pieces. There's no way I could do it alone. Um, I think I've just got very good now at knowing what's necessary to be done and, and what actually doesn't need to be done and uh, hiring accordingly. So um, support-wise, I also have a personal coach um, that that is very, very high level and the work that I do is, is very profound with her. Um, I'm part of a group. And, um, you know, we're a group of women who are very committed to to being um, fully realized, I guess. And that shows up for me in my business. Not not everyone in the group has a business. Um, But for me, it shows up in my business. It shows up as a mother. It shows up uh, in my relationships. You know, it shows up everywhere. And um, my first um, allegiance, if you like, is to me, to my soul. And as long as I am plugged into that and in tune with that, everything else flows from that. So so me having that level of support personally is absolutely fundamental as well as the yeah. team. Yeah. Yeah. Glad you've mentioned that because I think a lot of business owners, they spend a long time bootstrapping and sometimes obviously that's necessary in the beginning. But like you say, in order to, to be able to grow, it's about letting go. Some of the other people I've interviewed have said, oh, I'm a control freak. And that's the thing they found most challenging, like actually delegating and letting go of certain tasks as mm. well. But like I you used say, to be. Support- <laughs> I used to be a control freak. I didn't think anyone could do it as well as me. But there comes a point where you just have to get beyond that. That's right. That's right. Now, in terms of marketing, um, let's talk about the word vegan. We've touched on it a little bit earlier. And like you say, when you talked about, you know, coaches and uh, and consultants being able to go and choose their words. What's your take on the word vegan and particularly now? And and how much do you use it and your decision on how much to use it or not in your marketing materials? Mm. Well, interestingly, um, I didn't feel comfortable really using the word on until last year, um, uh-huh. which might sound kind of weird considering the length of time I've been involved. But um, I really, I personally, I've always had some issues myself with the words vegan and raw. I don't actually find them very attractive words. Um, I always thought that the word vegan sounded like some kind of alien species, <laughs> like Vulcan, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> So like, oh, she's a vegan. I mean, the way the way people would say, even say the word, it was almost like it's an insult. And um, so I, I never really thought, oh, that's beautiful language. I really want to use that in my marketing. Um, but that has changed in the past year. And the reason why it's changed is because now the word is really being used a lot more in the mainstream. And, and people now generally know what a vegan is. Not everyone, of course. There's still, there's still always going to be that, I think. Um, but, you know, I read somewhere recently that, that there's, there's twice the amount of Google searches now on the word vegan this year than there was last. I mean, it's, it's, it's increasing dramatically, very, very quickly. And so people now are actually proactively looking for the word vegan. And, and also for me, um, because I, over my 23-year journey with food, you know, I, I went vegetarian, vegan, raw vegan, um, then kind of vegan, then vegetarian, then vegan again. 
um, because I had never really let the difference between vegetarianism and veganism really sink in on an emotional level um, in terms of animal cruelty. And so for me, for a long time, for whatever reason, I, I felt that vegetarian and vegan were, were pretty close and it was less, uh, you know, there wasn't much of a difference in cruelty. And um, there came a point in my journey where I was like, the blinkers need to come off, Karen, you know, really. <laughs> and um, and then it was like, well, ve- veganism it is. And, you know, for me to be fully in my truth, c- coinciding with this whole branding conversation, um, you know, the fact of the matter is that, that now both feet are firmly in the vegan camp. I I now struggle almost with, with vegetarianism in the way I used to struggle with meat eating, you know, in terms of feeling comfortable with it um, because of the dairy industry. So, so now it's almost like I will move forward with the word vegan a lot more than I used to because, because they're my people. That's what it comes down to. I, I, you know, the, the best symbiosis happens when you are, with someone who is fully on the same page as you and you speak just the same language. And the client that I referred to earlier, you know, she she's a vegan and we have such an incredible relationship because we're on exactly the same page and our beliefs and our mindset and everything are practically identical. And it means that the work that we do together is so fast and so clear and so powerful because we're singing from the same hymn sheet. Exactly. Yeah. Now I can see that happening with raw food because as people come into raw food, they generally come through it from a vegan perspective, apart from the weird lot that eat raw meat. But we won't talk about those. But with with the high vibrational woman, are you still attracting um, vegans or non-vegans? Because it was interesting. The interview I did most recently was with Ginger Burr, who's an image consultant, and she's been doing that for 29 years. And she said that like her her clientele, only a small number of them are vegan, and she uses it all across her her marketing material so she's actually working with non-vegan people and sort of introducing them so I'm kind of curious as to how that plays out with you particularly with your high vibrational woman business yeah love ginger I really do um, <laughs> she's great she is she's actually written some some blog posts for the high vibrational woman about the truth about leather oh, the truth yeah because because I oh. wanted to you know I, I'm big on fashion actually and um a year or so ago, I completely veganized my closet, which, you know, apparently very few people have done. And um, so I wanted to to write a series of blog posts around really the truth about that side of things. And it's really cool. Um, yeah. So so love Ginger. And um, yeah, I know I know what you're saying. I think the thing about the high vibrational woman is it's still very new. And the women that have naturally migrated who were not vegan or even vegetarian, you know, their eyes are being opened because one of the modules in a, in a program that I run is called High Vibrational Eating. And by default, it talks about raw food, but which by default is vegan, for me at least. Um, and so, you know, their, their interest is peaked from a different perspective. When, through this rebrand, I'm actually um, bringing the raw food coach and the high vibrational woman together. So they will not be separate entities for much longer. Um, okay. Yeah, and that's specifically because I found that I was attracting women in to the high vibrational woman, uh, some of which who, who actually didn't have an interest in veganism. And I, and I found myself actually feeling uh, kind of pulled, really, um, around all of that, 
because I want to be able to say what I have to say without feeling that I have to dilute it. Because as I mentioned, I've done dilution for many, many years and there's plenty of other people out there who can do dilution now. Yes. <laughs> and, and I shouldn't be one of them. Um, so really, it's, you know, I think that that takes me on to another point, which is that sometimes you have to catch up to where you actually are in the grand scheme of things. And, um, you know, I love working with beginners so much and I'm really good at working with beginners because I make things very easy for people. But at the same time, my gifts really now are, are in the extreme end of things and the niche within the niche, as you said. And, um, you know, the best possible work I can do is help other women who want to be coaches and teachers to work with with the, the broader landscape, if you like, which is what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Right. Got it. Well, I really love your perspective on that. And it is, it can be a bit of a pull. It's like, you know, with your, your personal ethics and how does it incorporate into your business? So I think that's really interesting that you've brought, you're bringing those entities together because it, you know, it is a journey. So I'm, I'm glad that you shared that. So in terms of marketing, what current marketing strategies do you use and which do you find most effective? Facebook always. Um, Twitter, not so much, and I don't really get excited by Twitter, to be quite honest. Yeah, I don't either, actually. <laughs> Even though I'm a journalist, loads of journalists are like, you're supposed to love Twitter, and it's it's not. It's one of my least favourites. I don't like being confined to 140 characters. <laughs> yeah, and it's just it's just it, it's just so fast moving that there's no. It just doesn't feel very sincere. You know, there isn't there isn't much emotion in Twitter, and I honestly I don't know whether Twitter's gonna make it actually. Um, I think I think what's happening in in marketing now, because obviously the Internet is the fastest moving entity on the planet, really. Um, you know, things change very quickly and, and, and things become very disposable and, and trends move very quickly and all the rest of it. And I think what's going on right now, or at least in, in the circles I move in, is that people are becoming very disenchanted with certain aspects of the Internet for that reason. And people are really wanting uh, intimacy, you know, proper relationships with people that they can get to know, like and trust. And you and I know, and I'm sure everyone listening knows that on the Internet, you know, people can pretend to be anyone. In, you know, they can say they're doing something and be doing something completely different. That's um, right. Yeah. And so I think I think people are getting a bit kind of war torn <laughs> by that now. And and they really want the real deal and they're getting more choosy about you know their time their energy their money and who they choose to associate with so the the things that I enjoy doing now are things that build relationship um newsletters uh free teleseminars they're top of my list I would say I love to do the free teleseminars because I feel that it's you know it's a good chunk of time that I can really express myself and really share what I have to share um Instagram actually which surprises me because I a, a year ago I wasn't even on Instagram but but I'm liking Instagram I'm enjoying Instagram it's given me a, a specific way of communicating that wasn't happening any other way and um I'm actually reining uh certain marketing activities in so rather than doing the kind of old-fashioned splattergun approach which many people do <laughs> Yeah. Um, it's about quality over quantity. And the only piece really missing for me now that I really need to get back into is YouTube because six, seven years ago, I was, 
I was making a lot of food videos and they they were incredibly powerful for my business. People were actually getting to see me and for for whatever reason I've been quite video shy and I know I know I shouldn't be um because video is the most powerful way of all. And uh, for some reason I've had some kind of block around video and uh, and I'm actually good in front of the camera which is ironic. So I need to get back onto video and when I do I know that things will change dramatically. Yeah, you can see the high vibrational woman TV show. <laughs> now, you're also an author, Karen. So you're author of, I believe it's two books. Is that right? Raw Food Made Simple and Eat Right for Your Personality Type. Yeah, there was a third. Uh, that, that what was, oh, OK. Yeah, originally there was Feel Good Food, a guide to intuitive eating with uh, the Fresh Network's founder, Susie. Oh, right. Great. OK. So having a book, obviously, it's a great way to position yourself as an expert as well as raise the profile of your brand whilst also serving, obviously, the audience. How did your how did those say, particularly those last two, those two uh, five latest book deals, how did they come about? Because I believe you're a Hay House author. Mm-hmm. Was that Tell us a little bit about how the book deals came about. Well, Raw Food Made Simple actually was self-published. Um, and I and I chose to do that because quite simply I felt there wasn't the book out there that I felt needed to be out there. And Raw Food Made Simple, I mean, it says what it is because uh, over the past decade especially, there's been so many Raw Food recipe books coming onto the market, which, you know, aesthetically are stunning, inspiring, amazing but you open them up and there's all these recipes with like 25 ingredients and you take three hours to <laughs> dehydrate it. And My worst nightmare. <laughs> yeah, mine too. I've never eaten like that. And and honestly, it was bothering me because I was thinking this, this is actually going to potentially prevent people from getting into raw food because on one hand, they're going to be inspired by the gorgeousness of the food. But on the other hand, it's just totally impractical like people don't have this amount of time or inclination especially when they're a beginner who's going to want to spend a lot of money on ingredients they've never tried before and not know if they're going to like it even let alone the time so you know when I got into raw food I was very young I was 20 years old and I didn't have a lot of money didn't have a lot of experience didn't have a lot of time so You know, I I figured it out in my own unique way how to make raw food that was quick, easy, healthy and delicious and uh, was amazed actually at how few people managed to do that left to their own devices. And for many years, you know, I taught classes and I put out ebooks and stuff. And um, honestly, I kept thinking, well, someone will bring out a book like this, but it never happened. So it came to the point many years down the line where I just thought, I just need to write this thing. (laughs) And um (laughs) And so I did almost in a weekend. And, you know, I purposefully designed it to be a small book, both in terms of page number and in physical size, because I wanted it to be like a pocket book that people could carry around and that they could, you know, gift to other people and people not feel intimidated. So that's how that book came about. Um, right. Excellent. And what about the Hay House? Did you do a proposal to them or did they find you because you're an expert and come to you? How did that one come about? That was a really cool story, actually. Um, the president of Hay House, Reed Tracy, came to London in, I think, 2011 with um, Cheryl uh, Richardson. Yes. And, <laughs> and they ran a workshop in London, which was all about building platform and becoming an author. And um, they were running a competition, which they did at every event that they did, um, to become a Hay House author, to win uh, an opportunity for a book deal. And 
actually Louise Hay herself was at that event, which was very cool because no one knew she was turning up. It was a complete surprise. Oh, nice. Yeah. And, you know, when I was sitting in that room, I sat there and I thought, okay, because this is how I roll. I said, I am going to have a Hay House deal by the end of this year. Now, this was October, this event. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, at the time, I did have a book agent and I still do. And he's based in New York and I actually came across him through one of my e-zine readers. She put us in touch. And I got back to him and I said, look, I have been to this Hay House event and I've made the decision that I want to get a book deal with Hay House. And they're, you know, they're running this competition. He said, don't do the competition. He said, I will get you into Hay House. Um, he said, start writing your proposal. And so I did. And uh, a few weeks later, he put he put it out there to Hay House and Random House and Harper Collins and various other people. And uh, and I went for a meeting with those three, I think all on the same day or very close to each other, at least. And um, long story short, I, I had a had an offer from Hay House before the end of the year. Fantastic. That's a wonderful example of you doing what you say you're going to putting it out there and being open to it and making it happen. You know, I know some people think, oh, it's a bit oogie boogly. And, you know, I know the secret kind of simplified things a bit. You know, you don't just sit on your sofa and manifest (laughs) a a limousine and it will come to you. You actually have to, you know, put that stuff in action. But that's a really lovely example. So um, and I think it's also a really good example as well as of choosing what's right for you at the particular time, because obviously there are benefits with both self-publishing and traditional publishing. Mm. even now as, as a lot of that's changed what would you say have been some of the benefits that you've reaped from both of the books yeah I mean it is very different and pe- people always ask the question should I self-publish or should I get a book deal and there are pros and cons to each um, with raw food made simple one of the cool things that happened from that was that um, UK juicers actually approached me around buying a huge number of copies from me in order so that they could send out a book with every person who ordered, you know, a raw food piece of equipment from their website. So that was really cool. Half my stock went to UK Juices. Fantastic. Because <laughs> um, you know, this was before print on demand, of course, as well, which is probably important to point out to people. In those days when you self-publish, you kind of had to print a certain number and keep them in your garage or your house. Yes, they were in my garage. <laughs> actually, it wasn't before print on demand. I just chose to do it that way because I didn't oh. I didn't worry that I wouldn't sell them, which was nice. Um, <laughs> but... No, some of the benefits from from Raw Food Made Simple and self-publishing was that I was in complete control of everything, the text, the design, all of it, you know, the distribution. Um, with with the first book I co-authored, Feel Good Food, you know, there were chunks of that book that were taken out because the um, publishers just didn't feel that we could say that stuff. And, um, you know, that happens in publishing. They, they tend to play things a bit safe or they just have – you know, artistic license. And, um, and I didn't like that. I didn't like that at all because some of the bits that were taken out, I didn't want to have taken out, but you know, so with raw food made simple, you know, it got to be a hundred percent me and I loved the process. I loved the whole, everything about it. I actually have a history in publishing. That's what my first job was. So, so I understood publishing from the inside, which helped enormously with confidence and courage to self-publish and it actually wasn't very difficult to do um but when it came to hay house of course there's the cachet of being hay house author there's the connections i think one of the biggest benefits 
as well to being published is the distribution because trying to distribute on your own is, is a massive undertaking and one I didn't enjoy at all. Yeah. Um, so, you know, for that reason, I do now lean towards being published by a third party because they take all of that on. Um, but yeah, you know, I am naturally an author. I've always loved to write and there's many more books inside me. Um, I think the past few years has been about me really finding my hot spot and I know what it is now. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't change a thing, but the books going forward are going to be uh, more, more deep, more profound than they've been before. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. I should look forward to reading them. Now, just getting towards the end. Now, you've been featured in a lot of media. Um, how? And, I, and it's great that you've got that on your website. Cause I always teach people to to do that. You know, to show off there, not be shy about the fact that they've been in the media because it gives you that credibility. How important has that been in terms of raising your brand awareness as well as generating leads and sales? I don't honestly know. Actually, I mean, media is a very fickle world, as you know. And, um, you know, it's, it's great for awareness raising because people read about you. They may or may not come to your website, but it sows another seed. And I think the thing about media is most of it, you never actually know how much of an impact it's had. You, you just don't know. Um, and that you have to be at peace with that. Uh, I've loved the fact that I've been in so much media, which is kind of ironic because at the beginning when Susie Miller handed over the Fresh Network to me she actually said to me literally at the 11th hour oh by the way expect to be in the media and and, and, and I I was like can I change my mind Uh, it it completely freaked me out I still don't like having my photo taken um, you know but but again my desire to be of service was greater than my fear of that so so I thought what you know whatever needs to be done I'll do it and uh you know what happened how I managed to get so much press coverage was because at the time you know raw food was still a very very unusual thing and how the media works as you know is that once you appear in one publication the other publications are reading all the other publications and they think oh we should do something on raw food and it becomes like this domino effect Exactly, yeah. And so in the early days, I mean, I I was just inundated. It was one thing after another. In more recent years, it's been much more sporadic. And there were times where I was more proactive about getting it. Um, But uh, in terms of financial benefit, I wouldn't say it's been a huge, a huge plus for me, media, actually. It's it's more existing circles. Yeah, and more the case, like you said, the brand awareness, people getting to know you and who you are and what you do, for sure. So we've talked a little bit about some of the, uh, you actually mentioned, you know, um, running a business is the biggest form of self-development because it really forces you out of your comfort zone. What would you say have been some of the key lessons that you've learned through your many years of running your various businesses? Mm. Number one, expect the unexpected. Right. You have no way of knowing how it's going to play out and we all tend to project or it's going to look like this. It's going to happen. No, forget that. Just, you know, go in with your intention and your why being very, very clear. Um, But also also know that things will unfold in the way that they will unfold and, um, you know, be be flexible in that. Um, Number two is to really be a be stay aware of your why at all times let that drive you and trust that that will that will move you through and 
with that flexibility that I mentioned. Um, number three, we talked about get get the right support that you need. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that you do know everything or you should know everything because you don't. Um, there's always more to learn and there's always going to be a next level. And uh, if you if you are here to make a big impact, which I have always felt I am, then you need to get a level of support that is relative to that. You know, if you if you want to work locally and do stuff locally, you're not going to need the high level of mentorship that I've had. Um, but if you if you see yourself as someone who's here to really make a huge ripple effect internationally, um, then, you know, you need the corresponding level of input and support and vision. And vision is crucial for, for people who feel that they're here to make an impact. And um you know, also to get the right support around you personally, because if if your home life is such that everyone thinks you're nuts and bonkers, you know, that's going to chip away. So you need to make sure that even if you have people like that around you in your personal life, you have equally as many, if not more, who are fully behind you and supporting you because it is an inner journey. And on the practical side, absolutely, you need education. There are things that, that you need to know how to do. Um, but but to master each step as you go, not to feel like you need to take everything on all, all at once, because obviously that leads to overwhelm and overwhelm leads to quitting. So, you know, pick one thing, become good at it, move on to the next thing uh, and know that, you know, the timing of things will be as it needs to be. And you'll get the right number of people come when you're ready for them. That's brilliant. That's really, really useful advice. I particularly love what you said about getting the right support, because like you say, some businesses just want to be local and operate on a smaller scale and and getting that that help that's relevant to that if you want to go bigger. That's brilliant. Just finally, what's your long term vision for for you and your brand or your brand? Hmm. Oh, some of it's secret, um, but (laughs) (laughs) you feel comfortable sharing. (laughs) (laughs) Not all of it. Um. But ultimately, my vision is to have really created a a huge body of work, a legacy that other people can use, um, but also that has this tremendous ripple effect through, as it already has to some extent, you know, but how people are inspired by the work that I've done and the information that I've brought forward and they can run with it and create businesses that that really affect the mainstream and um you know, there, there's millions and millions of people that need to wake up and uh, the businesses are a huge part of that waking up. Absolutely. You've been, you've shared so much wonderful information. I really appreciate you being so generous in, in sharing your insights and your expertise. I've learned heaps from talking to you and it's been really lovely reconnecting with you. So thank you so much for coming on the show, Karen. Thank you. So that was Karen Nola of The Raw Food Coach and The High Vibrational Woman. You can find out more at therawfoodcoach.com and thehighvibrationalwoman.com. And you can find those links on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts. Now for our vegan business news roundup. Corporate food giant General Mills is investing in Kite Hill, a startup specialising in plant-based alternatives to dairy, including cream cheeses and nut milk yogurts, reports the New York Times. It's part of a move by General Mills to establish itself in venture capital. And while the company has invested in other non-vegan food businesses, this quote by John Haugen, Vice President and General Manager of 301 Inc., General Mills's venture capital arm, bodes well. 
Plant-based used to be more synonymous with sacrifice than with taste. Now companies like Kite Hill are able to deliver plant-based products that taste good. So this is really good that these mainstream players are recognising that vegan and that plant-based is not about giving up, it's not about sacrifice, and it is about wonderful and tasty and delicious foods. So hopefully this means that the bigger brands will start to take on more and more plant-based food development and investment and eventually phase out animal products. Now, talking of big brands recognising the value of animal-free products, vegans across the globe celebrated the launch of Bailey's Almond this week, a vegan version of the traditional liqueur made with almond milk. According to the Bailey's website, the almond milk is made from sweet almond oil and almond essence, cane sugar and purified water with a touch of real vanilla. The Vegan Herald reported that it contacted the company to confirm that the product is indeed entirely vegan. Now, I remember many years ago, I did used to like a bit of Bailey's around about Christmas time. And whilst I don't drink alcohol anymore, it would certainly make a really nice present. A vegan and eco-friendly clothing store Drizzle and Shine has opened on Capitol Hill in the US, reports Capitol Hill Seattle blog. The store is a progression of a style blog that owner Jean White maintained. As well as having an online presence, White wanted a physical space where people could experience and touch a range of fashion items and accessories for men and women that include underwear, shoes and sunglasses, as well as clothes. All goods stocked at the store are animal-free and are either fair trade, organic, local, USA-made, recycled or all of the above. Drizzle and Shine is located on 15th Avenue East on the Group Health Capitol Hill campus and you can find out more at drizzleandshine.com. The launch of Boston startup Lighter was covered in Forbes this week. Co-founders Micah Risk and Alexis Fox are the brains behind the new venture, which uses software to help people to prepare healthy meals by giving them personalised plant-based menus and shopping lists. Food recommendations are provided by a range of food leaders, including athletes, chefs and health professionals. Users can only follow one person at a time, but can easily change when they want to. And what's really clever is that the software learns to recognise each person's individual preferences. Instructional videos on basic cooking skills are planned in the next few weeks as well. Now, until the 1st of June, the site is free to explore. After that, while some basic features will remain free, users will have to pay for premium services such as individual nutritional counselling. So you can find out more about this innovative new platform at lighter.world. Finally, Beyond Meat has launched its latest burger, the first vegan burger to be sold in the meat cases at Whole Foods Market. The Beyond Burger claims to be indistinguishable from meat-based burgers in terms of taste and, wait for it, it even bleeds (laughs) thanks to the inclusion of pulverised beets. The new product just debuted in Whole Foods in Boulder, Colorado, where it's sold out within an hour and it will roll out in more locations later in the year. So this is fantastic because it's the first step in making this kind of food affordable and accessible to the masses. 
As I say in my talks, if all other things are equal in terms of taste and cost, there's no reason for people not to choose plant-based alternatives to traditional food. We've got to get those barriers down. Now, personally, I don't want a burger that bleeds or tastes like meat, but I'm a big supporter of Beyond Meat's innovation and I look forward to their creations becoming the norm and replacing animal-based foods. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, please consider giving it a review and a rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. I'm Katrina Fox from veganbusinessmedia.com and I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode. Bye for now. 